Animals Today Radio is made possible in part by a generous grant from International Society for Animal Rights, isaronline.org. Welcome to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Peter Spiegel. One of the disappointments we've had over the years that Lori and I have been part of the animal rights community and living as vegans is the behavior of many people who call themselves environmentalists. And years ago, we learned and we still believe that if you care about the environment, then the most important act you can do and you should do is to adopt a plant-based diet. So it goes without saying that anyone who advocates for animals should not be eating them but we strongly feel that anyone who holds themselves out to be an environmentalist, whether as part of their profession or just having that as a value, should not be harming the environment through their diets. And yet we're constantly disappointed in what we actually see. Today we are speaking with Dr. Lisa Kemmerer, whose new book, Eating Earth, takes on this topic and a lot more. She is an author and professor of philosophy and religion at Montana State University in Billings. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you. It's wonderful to be back. Lisa, the full title is Eating Earth, Environmental Ethics, and Dietary Choice. Why did you write this book? Well, I guess I had the same experience that you did. I had a sense that the environmentalists shouldn't be eating animals and that we should all be working together. And yet that was definitely not my experience. And I guess I grew weary of just having that sense, and I wanted to know. So I got busy and did some serious research and really looked into the issue. And, and there's no question that we're right, that on so many counts, whether it's the forest or the land or the water, um, whether it's depletion of resources or pollution, on all counts, the environmentalists should be on board. Uh, they should be also focused on a plant-based diet. So I wanted to be able to know what I was talking about when I talked to environment, environmentalists. So it's written both for the environmentalists and for animal ad, advocates so that we can communicate and we can have a better understanding of the subject. And of course, ultimately, it's written for the earth and the animal. There does need to be more communication. So, And I, I do think you've succeeded in, in straddling both of those ideas. And one of the ways you do it is to use these dozens, scores of great diagrams to illustrate some basic sort of statistical and mathematical concepts that really drive some of these messages home. Tell us about the use of diagrams in the book and, and what you're doing there. This is a really sciencey subject, and I am a philosopher. So it was challenging on a lot of levels, and I realized that a lot of people are like me, that this is just a lot of numbers, it's a lot of information, and that we needed some graphs and some pictures and some basic bullets to show us what the important details are. And I was really, I'm really fortunate. I have a friend who's a physicist and a mathematician who is also very concerned about climate change and the earth and who also understands um, the importance of a plant-based diet. And uh, he really helped me a lot with those diagrams to make them what they are, to make some um, really good figures and images that help us understand this information. Some of these concepts, I don't, I don't remember whether you addressed this specifically, but the impact of, say, diet compared to what you drive or weather stripping your door. To really illustrate those things can be very powerful. Yes. One of the things that I'm startled by is that the environmentalists are still focusing on things like don't water your lawn and recycle and get a smaller walk cycle or get a smaller car. I'm not saying those things aren't important. They are important, and I love the environmentalists, and I, I, I'm one of them. I want, I want all of these things to happen. But the most important thing that we can do for the earth is to change our diet and get away from animal products. It is definitely the number one contributor to pretty much every serious environmental problem that we have. That's such a basic point that we discovered fairly late in our evolution as animal rights advocates. And so now our goal is to teach the world exactly uh, what you are saying. And this book is a, will be a great tool uh, for us. I agree with you. We just we don't know this information, and yeah. it's so important. We have to work together. We're so we're so outpowered by the industries. We have to work together. So we have to understand why we need to work together. Do you think that we're on the verge of a global climate catastrophe? Uh, we've had a number of guests who think the they're sort of looking very negative about the what's happening with the uh, climate worldwide. One of them was Professor Richard Schwartz, who. Uh, is a former president of Jewish Vegetarians of North America who really thinks that we're in trouble. Yeah, I agree with Richard. There's no question. I wouldn't say we're on the verge of it. I'd say we're now into it. There's no question we can see the effects with climate change. We can see the uh, 
the species loss. And it's in the hundreds. It's like a hundred and some. Even at the most conservative estimate, there's over a hundred species being lost. Um, I think it's every day. It's just an absolutely astonishing figure. But these are, you know, you can go from insects, little species that are in the rainforest. And the point being that this isn't, no, if we're no longer on the verge, we're in it. We're experiencing the climate change. We're experiencing the species loss. And we're, there's just too many humans, and we are too busy consuming. Talk about uh, carbon dioxide imbalance. Well, carbon dioxide, the, the number one contributor to carbon dioxide is diet. It's animal agriculture. So the first thing to understand is that animal agriculture is the number one reason that we're having the problem of climate change. Then we have to understand that the both photosynthesis and the oceans absorb the carbon dioxide that we're putting into the air. Um, of course, there's other things that we release, um, the nitrous oxide and the methane. But just looking at carbon dioxide for a moment, the seas and plants absorb this. But we are currently putting in so much carbon dioxide that it is no longer possible for the plants and this is where deforestation comes in because we're hurting this process with our ranching and our crops for ranching. So we're reducing the plants that can absorb the carbon dioxide, and the seas also absorb carbon dioxide, and they're maxed out in what they can absorb, and this causes acidification. And, of course, this destroys coral and destroys ecosystems underwater that we can't see. So our diet is um, the number one contributor to greenhouse gas emissions, and this process, the fact that there is more in the air now of carbon dioxide that can be absorbed, is destroying our ocean ecosystems. And I think that's a hard concept to get across to a lot of people who are not really looking to learn about acidification of the oceans, for instance. I mean, it's hard to explain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we can't see it. It's underwater. We don't know that it's happening. So much of the effects of what we're doing are either overseas in the rainforest or underwater. Uh, you know, for an individual to actual, actually face the effects of diet, um, it's easy to try to get out of it. And I always try to point out there's other things, too, that our, our wars are oil-based. Our oil spills are related to our diet. So all of these things are caused by our choice to eat animal products. One thing it's easy to see if you get a nice aerial picture of those huge reservoirs of liquid solid waste from the, f the <laughs> animal factory farms. It's really disgusting. It smells. It, they leak. Anyone can look at that and say, this can't be right. Yes, and of course, the, the main effect that I look at from the slurry and the manure with their pollution is the dead zones. Because we have so much animal manure, and um, there, if you look at the pigs with chickens with goats, they're each pooping um, more than about 100,000 Olympic swimming pools annually, and cattle poop twice as much. Pigs are, they can produce four times as much waste as humans. So this is a tremendous amount of waste. And where, where do we put it? What do we do with it? We pile it around. We try to throw it on fields in order to find something to do with it. And, of course, it's sort of good for the field. But then the water comes, the rains come. Um, it, it rushes into the water streams, and it goes downstream, and that those rich nutrients uh, ultimately create dead zones further down. And our Gulf of Mexico is the second biggest dead zone in the world. Um, and now even little places like New Zealand that are busy with their um, animal agriculture, they also have dead zones. And these dead zones are basically places where there's no oxygen. It's been taken up by the process of dealing with uh, the manure of uh, first there's an algae bloom, and then it decomposes, and all the oxygen is gone, and then nothing can live in that water. Everything dies, all the fish, all the crabs, the shrimp, everything that lives there, the clams, nothing can live in a dead zone. That's why it's called a dead zone. And they continue to grow. And these basically didn't exist, um, I don't know, until fairly recently. Maybe in the last 50 years we started to see just a few occasionally. And now there's well over 100 of them. They stay year-round, and they are literally covering hundreds uh, of acres of ocean. Hundreds of miles, I should say. These are just gigantic. The Gulf of Mexico is the second big biggest, and I think it's about 8,000 8, square miles. Um, and the Baltic Sea is the largest, and it's 27,000 square miles. And this is caused by our diet. Right. We're going to continue talking about what we're doing to the oceans after the break. We're speaking with Professor Lisa Kemmerer, you're listening to Animals Today. Hi, this is Dr. Lori Kirshner, and I want to thank you for listening to Animals Today. Make sure to visit us on animalstodayradio.com, where you will see all our previous shows and where you can download them free. That's animalstodayradio.com, 
or you can listen on iTunes. Also, make sure to like us on Facebook and join the discussion. Animals Today gets a lot of its support from the nonprofit group Advancing the Interests of Animals. Please visit them at aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. And I hope you'll consider making a donation to help pay for the ongoing broadcast of Animals Today. Each week on Animals Today, we strive to bring you the highest quality, most up-to-date information about all animals, how we treat them, and their place in society, while promoting greater respect and kindness towards them. So thanks for your support. That website again is aianimals.org. And thanks for listening. That is the sound of a dog whose vocal cords were cut just to stifle her voice. It's called devocalization, and it's done to cats as well. Devocalized animals rasp and wheeze, cough and gag for the rest of their lives. Some are rendered mute. And for what? So a commercial or hobby breeder can keep many animals without having to listen to them? So show dogs will be quiet during transit between shows or in the ring? So an irresponsible pet owner can leave a dog alone for hours every day? Animals Today says shame on anyone who would have a dog or cat devocalized and shame on the veterinarians who perform this unnecessary, inhumane surgery on them. Please speak out against devocalization of dogs and cats. Use your voice to protect theirs. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. Attention invention and gadget lovers, join our invention testing club called the Da Vinci Club. Every month we're going to send you a brand new gadget, a brand new invention, things that are not on the market before, and you fill out a couple questions. And you get to keep the invention. Maybe the invention's the new OctaCore tablet that's coming up. Maybe it's the new garlic cutter. Every single month you'll get a brand new invention, and the value could be several hundred dollars or twenty, thirty dollars. Every month it's different, but we need your evaluation. And it only costs twenty dollars a month. Call one triple eight eight seven seven zero four nine zero. That's one triple eight eight seven seven zero four nine zero. Or go to my coolinventions.com. It's mycoolinventions.com. How about that? A brand new invention every single month. Innovative technology nobody's ever seen before. You get to see it first. All you have to do is answer a few questions. Call one 877 Imagine the radio station you're listening to right now. You're going to be able to listen to this anywhere in the world. As long as you have a Wi-Fi internet spot, how would you like to be able to listen to it in your office? Maybe you're dead. Maybe perhaps in your bedroom or even outside on the patio. What I'm talking about is internet Wi-Fi radio. Yes, it's not hard to do. You can own it today. We actually have on MyCoolGuidance.com the number one rated best internet radio as of right now. With over 200,000 reviews scanned, it's rated number one, a 9.9. You don't get any higher. It's called the Grace Encore Internet Radio. You can receive up to 50,000 radio stations, podcasts, and even content from iHeartRadio, from SiriusXM, Rhapsody, and all of the other streaming services out in the internet today. Imagine having all that entertainment. You like sports? How would you like to have thousands of sports channels to listen to? Your favorite sports? You like soccer? Maybe it's all happening in Europe. Don't worry about it. You're here in America. What we have is the Grace Encore Internet Radio. Now, it is a deal of the week on MyCoolGadgets.com. Normally, these would retail anywhere from $700 to $900. But if you call us right now, call our toll-free number 1-888-877-0490. That's 1-888-877-0490. This $700 to $900 radio is yours for only $249. You heard me right, just $249. Call us now at 1-888-877-0490 or go to MyCoolGadgets.com. With an incredible digital amplifier, it has front-facing speakers, a subwoofer as well. You'll hear incredible, dynamic, crisp audio. Enough volume to fill a room. 
plus listen to over 50,000 radio stations. What are you waiting for? Call us right now, 1-888-877-0490. Check it out on MyCoolGadgets.com. You can even see the article where it's rated the number one internet radio in the marketplace today. Call 1-888-877-0490. You're listening to America's Talk Radio Network, where America talks. Welcome back to Animals Today. We're speaking with Professor Lisa Kemmerer. The the new book is called Eating Earth, Environmental Ethics and Dietary Choice. And Lisa, we want to move our discussion to the oceans and boy, all the things we're, we're doing to them. And one of the things I learned in reading your chapter about the oceans was shrimp, the, the little sea creature shrimp that many people eat as a delicacy. Uh, there's a lot of nasty stuff that goes along the way in going from the sea onto people's plates. Talk about that. Yes, I used to love shrimp. I used to eat shrimp out of the can when I was a kid. I remember really enjoying it. I put a little of that disgusting mayo on there and put it on a sandwich and uh, eat those little shrimps. Uh, if I had only known what I was doing, it, it is just it is not it is not worth it. And if there's one thing we need to take off of our plate, if you're going to give up one seafood, give up shrimp. Um, it, it is seriously dis- destructive to the sea systems. And to understand that, you have to understand bycatch. So bycatch is what, um, well, let's start with the fact that fishing methods are indiscriminate. They're nets and they're hooks. You drop them in the water and you catch what you catch. And you can't know what's going to get on the end of that hook. So one problem with that is that endangered species, we have tremendous trouble bringing them back when they're reduced because the fishing methods are indiscriminate. You cannot protect endangered species as long as you're using nets and hooks. And, of course, that's what we use to fish. So we, the bycatch are the ones we did not intend to catch. So there's turtles, there's dolphins, there's seals, there's whales. Half of the birds um, that are on the endangered species list are endangered because they're caught on hooks and in nets, and uh, they're bycatch. Hmm. The mortality rate for these for the bycatch is 100%. When you catch them, they, they rarely, well, it's almost 100%. It's very rare for them to survive. And yet this bycatch has become profitable. You can actually sell it now. They actually feed these products, these sea products, to farmed animals, as well as to farm fish. So farm fish, you need three times the amount of food uh, as you get out of them. So per pound, three pounds of fish goes in for one pound coming out. So it's a net loss. But shrimp, of course, is the worst offender for bycatch. For one pound of shrimp that you pull up, you get 14 pounds of bycatch. And this is all for a um, a 2% of the global catch, but it creates 30% of the global bycatch. And in the process, they have destroyed 25% of mangroves through the shrimp industry. So shrimping is extremely destructive because no one is going out and just picking up shrimp. Instead, they're using these trawlers and they pull in anything that gets into these, anything that they can pull in, they bring in, and it can be anything from endangered species to simply the things that belong on the ocean floor that shouldn't be pulled in. These trawlers are huge, they're heavy, they weigh about five tons, and they're gigantic, and they simply Mm. destroy everything on the ocean floor, the corals, the ecosystems, stirring up dirt, sediment, polluting the waters. So both the methods of bringing in the shrimp are destructive to the ecosystems in the water, and then what you pull in as well is uh, can be endangered animals. It's extremely destructive to the ocean. So if you're going to give up something, give up shrimp. You know, that term bycatch seems so innocuous, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> bycatch. Yes, and it just shows our irresponsibility um, in, in our diets, that we could just call this bycatch and simply accept that for, you know, one pound of shrimp, you're going to pull in 14 pounds of everything else that lives down there that you didn't yeah. intend to pull up, whether it's an endangered species or not. And the bycatch includes dolphins and other beloved species. I mean, we love all the species, but but may, maybe that would resonate to, to think that the, our, the dolphins that so many people are attracted to are being indiscriminately killed. Yeah, and there's a fondness for turtles, too. Yeah, and I'm yeah. pretty sure that the shrimp industry is the, is the number one killer of turtles. And all the sea turtles are endangered. So shrimp is... You, Again, if you want to help the turtles, quit eating shrimp. So the seas are nothing like they were 
a century ago. They are really depleted, aren't they? Yeah, scientists believe that they are, uh, there's kind of a silent collapse going on. We can't we can't see, of course, what's under. They're, they're, also, they're like, kind of like the rainforest. There's a long, they're a long way away from many of us who are making these decisions that affect the seas and the rainforest, but it is our diet that is affecting them. And the, the seas, they have 168 more space than the landscapes, of course, because, you know, it's, it's, it's a sphere. You, can, it's, you float around it. It's just not like the land where you just have a little bit and then there's some birds that are in the air. So it's 168 times the space for living beings. And yet in, they think that within 30 years, the fisheries themselves will collapse. And I, it's so frustrating when we talk about the collapse of the fisheries and all we're worried about is what we're eating. What are the animals going to eat that ate those fish? Not only are the fish themselves gone, but the ecosystems are completely trashed those uh, fish belong to. So this is a very serious consequence, our dietary choice. And just because it's under that shiny surface of water, uh, we can't deny that it's happening. We shouldn't turn our backs. We need to change what we're eating. Lori and I were at the shore recently, and knowing uh, what you have taught us uh, uh, just about the depletion of the seas, we were really sad. I mean, it's a pretty to look at, but we, we, were, we were sad to know what's going on just below the surface. Yeah, and the oceans are so beautiful, and who doesn't love to go to the beach? And yet, you know, next time, look out there and know that about 91 million metric tons of wildlife are fished out of those seas annually, and that it doubled at the end of the last century. Uh, take doubled in the last 30 years of the, between 73 and 97. And we've had to shift. One of the things that startled me when I was doing this research is discovering that some of the fish that I ate when I, when I was a kid, you, they're expensive and you don't find them much. And what we did was we just moved on to other fish. So I remember when Pollock came on market and I'd never heard of it before. And of course, the stellar sea lion, it's an endangered animal. That's the number one food of that sea lion. Just move from one fish to the next. If one gets depleted, we move on and we're now deep sea fishing. And the fish uh, that are in the deep waters, not only can we not really see them or know what's happening with them or it's hard for us to really see the damage we're doing but they some of them live an extremely uh long some of them live up to 120 150 years and so they blatant locks and fishing is is an extreme danger to them and 90 percent of the large predatory fish have already been fished out and again it, this is where environmentalists need to step up to the plate this isn't about whether or not you enjoy fish this is about whether or not you care about ecosystems. We're speaking with Professor Lisa Kemmerer, and after the break, we're going to continue our discussion, and we're going to start by talking about one of our most beloved presidents and what he did to get Lisa really agitated. You're listening to Animals Today. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner, and I want to thank you for joining us on Animals Today. Each week, we explore the wide variety of new and important issues concerning the welfare and rights of animals, how people treat them, and where they fit in society. From whale protectors risking their own lives on the open seas, to lawmakers fighting to pass legislation to assist animals, to kids volunteering at their local shelter, Animals Today provides timely and in-depth analysis and interviews with experts and advocates from around the world. To listen, join us every week on this station, listen on iTunes, or go to animalstodayradio.com where you can access and listen to all the prior shows. And like us on Facebook and share your views. Much of our financial support comes from the nonprofit group Advancing the Interests of Animals. That's AIAnimals.org. AIAnimals.org. So check them out. This is Lori, and thanks for listening. Did you know that more than half of the animals that enter our country's shelters are euthanized every year? This amounts to millions of loving, adoptable dogs and cats being killed due to our nation's pet overpopulation problem. Too many dogs and cats are permitted to have litters, but there's just not enough homes to take them all in. We strongly encourage people to adopt pets from a shelter instead of buying from a breeder or a pet store. When you adopt from a shelter, more than likely you are saving a life. Please tell your friends and family about the pet overpopulation problem and encourage them to adopt from a shelter and save a life. And together we can stop this terrible ongoing tragedy and senseless killing of millions of loving dogs and cats. 
So spread the word, adopt, don't buy, and remember, always have your pets fixed. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at AIanimals.org. That's AIanimals.org. You got any ideas? I have a great idea. Pitch it to me. Pitch it, pitch it to me. Hey, I got an idea. Well, let's hear it. Successful businesses start with great ideas and cool inventions. Hi, everybody. I'm John Cremens, the doctor of shopology. Join me and ACOS The Solutionist on My Cool Inventions every week. We continue our ongoing search for America's top invention. You can be the next one. Together, both ACOS and myself provide over 60 years of experience in the industry of inventing products and presenting them on shopping channels worldwide. Every show, we give our advice on how to successfully produce your product. Along with great information and featured industry guests, you'll also get a chance to listen to the inventors of some of the coolest inventions and vote on which projects you like. You be the shark. Now, if you have a million-dollar idea in your head, submit it to us, and you can be selected to be on our show for your chance to be voted America's Top Invention. It's True Reality Radio, where you decide, and regular American families like yours are lifted. One innovation, one inventor, one American at a time. Attention invention and gadget lovers, join our invention testing club called the Da Vinci Club. Every month we're going to send you a brand new gadget, a brand new invention, things that are not on the market before, and you fill out a couple questions. And you get to keep the invention. Maybe the invention's the new OctaCore tablet that's coming up. Maybe it's the new garlic cutter. Every single month you'll get a brand new invention, and the value could be several hundred dollars or twenty, thirty dollars. Every month it's different, but we need your evaluation. And it only costs twenty dollars a month. Call one triple eight eight seven seven zero four nine zero. That's one triple eight eight seven seven zero four nine zero, or go to my. Coolinventions.com. It's mycoolinventions.com. How about that? A brand new invention every single month. Innovative technology nobody's ever seen before. You get to see it first. All you have to do is answer a few questions. Call 1 888 877 Imagine the radio station you're listening to right now. You're going to be able to listen to this anywhere in the world. As long as you have a Wi Fi internet spot, how would you like to be able to listen to it in your office? Maybe you're dead. Maybe perhaps in your bedroom or even outside on the patio. What I'm talking about is internet Wi-Fi radio. Yes, it's not hard to do. You can own it today. We actually have on MyCoolGuidance.com the number one rated best internet radio as of right now. With over 200,000 reviews scanned, it's rated number one, a 9.9. You don't get any higher. It's called the Grace Encore Internet Radio. You can receive up to 50,000 radio stations, podcasts, and even content from iHeartRadio, from SiriusXM, Rhapsody, and all of the other streaming services out in the internet today. Imagine having all that entertainment. You like sports? How would you like to have thousands of sports channels to listen to? Your favorite sports, you like soccer? Maybe it's all happening in Europe, don't worry about it. You're here in America. What we have is the Grace Encore Internet Radio. Now it is a deal of the week on MyCoolGadgets.com. Normally these would retail anywhere from $700 to $900. But if you call us right now, Call our toll-free number 1-888-877-0490. That's 1-888-877-0490. This $700 to $900 radio is yours for only $249. You heard me right, just $249. Call us now at 1-888-877-0490 or go to mycoolgadgets.com. With an incredible digital amplifier, it has front-facing speakers, a subwoofer as well. You'll hear incredible dynamic crisp audio enough volume to fill a room plus listen to over 50,000 radio stations what are you waiting for call us right now 1-888-877-0490 check it out on mycoolgadgets.com you can even see the article where it's rated the number one internet radio in the marketplace today call 1-888-877-0490 you're listening to America's Talk Radio Network where America talks Welcome back to Animals. Today, we're speaking with Professor Lisa Kemmerer, and the book is Eating Earth, Environmental Ethics, and Dietary Choice. Lisa, talk a little about Teddy Roosevelt and his role in getting the hunting movement started. Writing this book was a real education for me. I not only had to do math and figures and science, but I had to look at some history. And this was one of the most 
horrifying bits of history that I have ever read. Partly, of course, that's because of my concern for the environment and animals. Roosevelt was uh, in office at a time when the, the so-called game species started to become scarce and they were disappearing. And then many people hunted. It was kind of a way of surviving. I know that was true for my dad's family, that without hunting, they would have had nothing to eat. They didn't have a, a cash flow. So around that time, uh, hunting was very important. And not only that, but it was associated with manliness. And it was just something they felt was important for character building. It was just kind of part of our culture and our traditions at the time. So Roosevelt uh, had the power, and he was very interested in hunting. He had the power to bring about the changes necessary to protect the so-called game species, the species that they preferred to hunt, the hunter-target species. So hunters created a problem, and through government methods, they found a way to protect those animals, but not just to protect them, but to protect them for hunters. And that's key. The, the first fish and game, notice fish and game, I, I just, it, it's astonishing. Fishing and hunting, it has nothing to do with wildlife. Fish are wildlife. And now we're calling them fish and wildlife to get away a little bit from the obvious focus on hunting. Mm-hmm. But it should just be a wildlife organization that works for wildlife. But as conceived and created by Roosevelt, this is an organization developed because of problems that hunters caused on behalf of, of perpetuating hunting for hunters. So they started to protect the species, and they said, well, we're going to have to have the hunters fund this because it's reasonable. If, if the hunters are the ones benefiting, then they need to fund it. So they created the Pittman-Robertson Act, and it was a, an excise tax on the sale of rifles and ammunition. The trouble is, by 1970. Very few people were hunting. We'd become urban, we didn't have to hunt, and many people realized that uh, killing animals isn't all that fun, it's, you know, it's not really a recreation. You don't have to kill, why would you kill? So the, the money really fell off that was previously collected by the Pittman-Robertson Act. So what they did was they put an excise tax, I think it was 11%, um, it had been 10 or 11%, and they put it on uh, revolvers and pistols. Hmm. That changed radically in 1970. Who is paying for this tax to support manipulating wildlife for hunters? Because now we have uh, basically people in in urban areas and cities, uh, people who are small and afraid, who carry weapons to protect themselves, are now paying the government uh, to create these to to pay for these organizations that manipulate wildlife. So we have for every hundred people, we have 90 guns and only five hunters. Wow. So you tell me now that pistols and revolvers are um, being taxed to support the manipulation of wildlife for hunters, who's paying for that? Yeah. It's not the hunters. Wow, what a story. And uh, shocking to, to, to know if you're buying a small gun for self-protection that you're supporting that, that whole industry. Yeah, it's, it's unjust. It's, and, and Roosevelt himself wouldn't have liked it. They mm. knew then that the people should pay for it who are using it, and it, that's just no longer the case, that those monies are now manipulating wildlife for hunters, and it's paid for by people who don't hunt and probably dislike hunting. I follow accidental shootings uh, caused by hunters. So you've got a hunter, they uh, shoot themselves or shoot one one of the people in their parties, or even worse, they accidentally, quote unquote, shoot an innocent person, someone in their yard, someone who's hiking, or their dog. And one of my pet peeves, one of the things that really annoys Lori and myself is that these shootings are not really taken as seriously as they ought to. They are dismissed as, as accidents, and, it's, it's, yes. and they're not really prosecuted. It drives me wild because you, the terror they go live in together, if you make a mistake in a car, it can be manslaughter, and you have to, have a, you have to get your vision test, tested to drive a car, but you can buy a and buy a gun and go hunt. No one's going to test your vision and no one's going to say you can't shoot when you're drunk and no one's going to say you have to go do target practice before you go hunting. So we have all these people out here with guns and licenses to kill and the rest of us just have to look out. I remember once I was out hiking in the autumn here in the prairie and a guy pulled up in a in a little uh, all-terrain vehicle and he said, you can't be out here. You're going to get shot. And I just thought, why can't I be on my public lands in the fall? And he actually gave me an orange vest. He was so afraid I was going to get shot. And oh. I do know that, and I am afraid in the fall. Yeah. But I also am not going to let hunters just own our public lands, and yet they do. Hmm. We all are. It's up to us. If we get, if I get shot when I don't have an orange vest, that's my fault, not the hunter's fault, because they shot something that moved without knowing what they were shooting. And that is simply not 
the way it should be. We should be prosecuting people who, these hunters who have these so-called accidents. Who cares if it's an accident? You need to know what you're shooting. Why should environmentalists care about hunting? Explain why you have devoted a large chapter in the book to this topic. Hunting is devastating to ecosystems. And I think most fundamentally, because of that link between government and hunting, Government monies are spent through fish and wildlife or fish and game, whatever they happen to be called in different states. They manipulate the wildlife on behalf of hunters. So they take all of this money gained through the Pitt and Robertson Act, and they use it to manipulate animals. So one of the things they do is predator control. Now, predator control, there's $115 million tax dollars that go into predator control. And what predator control does is it simply wipes out predators. It removes them. And this is on behalf of both hunting and ranching. So anyone who doesn't, uh, somebody calls and says, I have uh, a coyote around my fences, fish and game will come out and kill the animal, trap it. And their means are extremely cruel. Mm. So they kill 2.4 or 2.5 million animals every year. That's our government through predator control. But these are, of course, predators. So when you take that many predators out of an ecosystem, you're doing severe damage to that ecosystem. So if environmentalists actually want to preserve ecosystems, they should work against hunting and trapping because both of them are harming our ecosystem. And of course, for animal activists, it's extremely cruel. Their methods are trapping. They use denning, which is poison put in dens to kill the young. Aerial gunning, so they at a huge expense, going around in helicopters shooting uh, predators. And, of course, then they just use regular guns and hunting. So people who like to kill animals, this is a great, well-funded government job. But for those of us who like animals and ecosystems, this is definitely not a good thing. Lisa, you are at Montana State University in Billings, and you are in ranch country, as you explained. Tell us a little bit about your students. Uh, I presume some, if not many of them, are hearing some of these messages for the first time when they encounter you. Yeah, sometimes they get very angry. Sometimes they get very upset. Uh, I try not to let that bother me, the backlash. My job is to speak what I know. And um, even before I was tenured, now I'm tenured and I'm protected, but even before then, my school has been very supportive of me speaking out about what I know. I mean, sometimes even other professors, and I remember the dean once said to me uh, something about how we had to eat animals for health, and she's in the science department. And I remember that I just spoke up and I said, no, it's simply not true, and I explained why. So um, I definitely have a slightly more stress in my life uh, because I'm teaching something that is completely against the economic basis of what's going on here in Montana. The ranchers are so entitled. They are so powerful. They have so much money. They are, they are just very respected in this area. But what they're doing is harmful. It's harmful to the environment. It's harmful to animals. And it's harmful to human health. It's harmful to poverty in other countries where people don't have enough to eat and we're feeding 70% of our grains to animals at a net loss. So for all these reasons, I need to speak up and I need to be courageous. And I've had students uh, come back to me. One student blatantly admitted that he was hunting because it, it well, he, he said it was orgasmic, the experience that he was having. He was killing things because it was such a wonderful feeling for him. Yeah. He quit hunting once we had, we discussed that in class and I talked to him about, you know, People who kill other humans have similar experiences. They say it's wonderful. And, you know, people do horrible things because there's something messed up in, in how they're reacting. And we need to look at that. We need to look at hunting, why we're killing. Do we, do we really want people to make a recreation of um, killing other animals and or maiming them if you don't quite get it right? This seems like an unhealthy occupation, this, this sport killing, sport hunting. If we Again, if people have to eat fish or other animals, or for, for God's sakes, it's like the plane that went down in the Andes. If you have to eat other humans, you eat what you have to eat. But morally speaking, if you have other choices, hunting and eating other animals is not a moral choice, both for the environment and for the animals. Great message, Lisa. Professor Lisa Kemmerer, the book is called Eating Earth. It's available everywhere. I strongly recommend it. Thank you very much for visiting with us again on Animals Today, and good luck with the book. Thank you so much. So fun to talk to both of you. Thank you so much for what you're doing.
Here's the problem. What happened to our music? When I was a kid, we had beautiful sound with woofers and tweeters and amplifiers. We had fantastic radios. Today, we're carrying them in our pockets with little white earbuds. Nonsense. How about this? How about a fantastic, beautiful radio that plugs into the wall with speakers and woofers and tweeters with 50,000 radio stations on it? Not only that, it's the number one internet radio in the world. The number one rated one. Here's the deal. Normally, they sell for $3.99. You can get it for $249. The Grace Encore Internet Radio for $249. You pick up the phone call, one 877 That's 1-888-877-0490. Check it out at MyCoolGadgets.com. That's MyCoolGadgets.com. If you don't love it, you return it. 30-day money-back guarantee. The Grace Digital Internet Radio for $249. It's storm season. Bad weather is fast approaching, and if your power goes out, you'll need a strong flashlight. And that's where the Blackout Buddy Emergency Flashlight begins. You'll have a powerful LED flashlight right at your fingertips when the power goes out. Now, normally, a Blackout Buddy Emergency Flashlight retails for $24.99. We have a special offer today. If you call right now, 1-888-877-0490, that's 1-888-877-0490, you can get two of the Blackout Buddy Emergency Flashlights for only $24.99. But you have to call now. Call 1-888-877-0490. When the power goes out, the Blackout Buddy comes on. It plugs directly into your wall socket for constant charging. And when the lights go out, boom, you have super bright LED lights lighting the way. Call right now. Call 1-888-877-0490. You don't get one, you get two for just $24.99. But call right now or go to MyCoolGadgets.com. That's MyCoolGadgets.com. You're listening to America's Talk Radio Network, where America talks. Welcome back to Animals Today. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. There was an outbreak of parvovirus in Trenton, New Jersey a few months ago that killed dozens of dogs, and another one in Lowell, Massachusetts that resulted in the death of at least 20 dogs. Plus, in Los Angeles County, more than 160 cases were recorded in just the first four months of 2014. Do you know everything you need to know about this deadly disease? Now, to help us understand the facts about parvo so we can and protect our dogs, I'm very pleased to welcome Dr. Srinu Lingretti, small animal veterinarian at VCA, All Animal, All Creatures Animals Hospital in La Quinta, California. Welcome to the program, Srinu. Oh, thank you so much. It's great to be here. Srinu, we all know about the word parvo. We've heard about parvo and that's that it's very dangerous, but please explain what it is and when it hit the scene. Parvovirus has actually uh, been around for many, many decades. It actually was first discovered in the, in the late 60s. But it wasn't until 1978 that a strain of it appeared that was actually so deadly and just completely changed the face of how we treat parvo and how we deal with it. It actually made, people don't realize this, it came from a feline virus, which is a very similar one called panleukopenia, which luckily we don't see too many cases of that in cats uh, these days because the vaccines have been so effective and it hasn't mutated so severely as it has in dogs. Uh, This virus back in the late 70s was uh, just such a rapid, awful epidemic that we lost so many dogs at that point until vaccines were trying to be developed to to cover this. And that's the shame of it all is that the parvovirus is actually can be avoided, um, but it is just so difficult in the wildlife population that it just is a horrible disease. So basically, it's been around for quite some time, and uh, the vaccines that we currently have actually are quite effective. Nothing's 100%, but they are quite effective in preventing this. So, Serena, explain to us, how is it transmitted? So basically, parvovirus is everywhere in the environment. People don't realize this. It is uh, little puppies basically uh, will eat contaminated food or soil, and the virus is, is makes its way into the mouth and starts to replicate it, uh, reproduces in the lymph nodes, and then it makes its way to the bone marrow, which is the first part of why it's so insidious. It destroys the immune system of these puppies. And then as it makes its way through the GI tract, it then destroys the lining of the GI tract, which is why parvovirus, which most people know, causes vomiting and diarrhea. 
But they don't realize is that the first part of this virus is to destroy the immune system so these poor puppies and dogs who are infected can't fight the infection. And that's why it's such a deadly disease if it's not treated. Are certain breeds more susceptible to parvovirus? There are certain breeds. It depends on where you are. Uh, but, and I think we don't know if that's a result of the, uh, the large number of these breeds in those environments or whether it is basically uh, something about their immune system. But we do overall see a lot of pit bulls and rottweilers that unfortunately tend to be more susceptible. Other parts of the country and actually the world actually would report other breeds. But typically where we are in Southern California, this seems to be the case. And tell us some of the symptoms. You mentioned some of them, but how, how will I know if my dog has parvovirus? Well, any young dog that has an uncertain vaccine status or no vaccine status whatsoever that has vomiting or diarrhea, parvo is at the top of the list. When they are lethargic and they cannot eat and they cannot stop vomiting and, and basically become so lethargic that they, uh, to the point where they can't even lift their head, the parvovirus is high on the list. Mm. And Serena, talk about immunization. When is it given and how effective is it? Well, here's the thing about puppies. They do, and all dogs actually, have some immunity to parvovirus just because it is everywhere. And immediately when a puppy is born, as long as he or she is with mom, they're going to get some immunity from the colostrum and the milk that they receive from nursing from mom. Unfortunately, in the first four months, the immunity starts to go away, and then these puppies start to become very susceptible to this virus. So what we do as veterinarians is vaccinate these puppies on every three to four weeks, basically up until they're 16 weeks of age or four months of age. After four months of age, we know these puppies most likely are going to have almost 100% immunity to this. The problem, of course, is we just don't know exactly how much that's going to be. So basically in those first four months, the most important thing, advice that we can give to all of our clients or any puppies that we see, the people who are caring for them, is to keep them away from public areas, keep them away from outdoor environments where there is a chance that the parvovirus could be in high amounts that could make them sick as they're going through the vaccine series. Oh, that's really critical. I don't think a lot of people know. I'm glad you stressed that. So until the vaccination is complete in your puppy, so up to four months, really keep them isolated or not isolated, within the house right good absolutely within the house they can go outdoors but carry them outside you know you can drop walk them on dry areas but you've got to realize that any environment is going to have a small amount of parvovirus in it at any time and that is the most important thing that we are trying to keep them from getting exposed to too much that could, it could actually make them really sick um, and, the, and, yeah and, and Serena does the immunity last for the life of the dog no, well, we, we are hoping that in certain cases there are certain dogs that it can, but we do know that they do need to be boosted after they get their uh, puppy series. It always needs to be boosted a year later. And after that, we do know that it most likely is going to last for at least three years, uh, but we uh, don't know after that. For some dogs, we don't know about uh, lifelong immunity. Even if they, they get through an infection of parvovirus, there is some speculation that they could have lifelong immunity, but you know, it is such an easy thing to prevent and not to take a chance that it's actually easier to vaccinate just to make sure we're covering all our bases to give them the best chance. Right. So now talk about treatment or if a dog wasn't properly vaccinated, is, is, talk about the treatment and is, is there antiviral drugs to cure parvo? Right. Unfortunately, at this time, we don't have anything that directly kills a parvovirus. There are some antiviral drugs that help to fight it, but for the most part, it's all about supportive care. So these puppies that come in very sick, uh, they typically their best chance at survival is to hospitalize them and to keep them on IV fluids so they don't go into shock from severe dehydration and give them basically antibiotics which cover secondary infections which they're getting exposed to because remember their immune system is completely destroyed. Yeah. Now while we're giving them the supportive care, we hope at some point while they're hospitalized or, and I'll talk a little bit about outpatient care in a second, their immunity hopefully will start to come back and they actually start are able to fight the virus themselves. And that is what we're waiting for as we treat them in the hospital or outpatient. Now of course, hospitalizing an animal on IV fluids, IV antibiotics, and, and a lot of medications is, can be quite expensive. So, of course, not everybody can afford that. 
Outpatient therapy is available, and again, it just depends on the immunity of that puppy or young dog, um, how well they can actually recover from this at home. Some dogs can do great if they've had some vaccines or some immunity from mom. Unfortunately, a lot of puppies have no immunity, and outpatient treatment doesn't work at all. Um, so it is something that we basically, it's all about supportive care while these puppies rebuild their immune system and try to fight this virus themselves. So vaccination and prevention really is the key here. Absolutely the key. Srino, has 2014 been a worse year than usual for parvo infection across this country? You know, I don't know if it's been a worse or it is just, uh, you know, I'd have to look at the numbers to see if they are reporting more. I think it's just that, uh, unfortunately, with the uh, stray dog population, it's exponential when puppies are out in the wild and uh, and they are, are getting exposed to these viruses and other diseases that it just basically, I think it, it, it's related to the percentage of population of puppies that are out there that are being born. Um, so I think the more dogs that we have out in the wild um, and uh, that are stray dogs, probably the more percentage we're going to see of parvovirus. Because remember, it is pretty much everywhere, and it's just a question of the immunity and the amount of exposure that these puppies get, uh, which determines whether they get infected or not. What do shelters do when there's an outbreak of parvo? I mean, is there some cleaning mechanism to, to sterilize the environment? Oh, yes, the most important thing people have to remember is if you did nothing, if you did nothing, an infected area with parvovirus can remain contaminated uh, basically six, up to five to seven months depending on how much sunlight. The two biggest things that we find that can kill this virus are the UV light sunlight and bleach. Bleach is probably the most important thing that people can use at home and in a shelter situation, um, we actually have other uh, antiviral parvovirus uh, disinfectants that we use and um, they are very effective at cleaning, but I got to admit, you know, people can carry the virus on their shoes and their clothing, so the most important thing we do in shelters or hospitals is actually have an isolation unit where the puppy is there and we enter into this room. Uh, through basically walking through a vat of bleach and gowning up with gowns that stay in that isolation room to make sure we don't carry this virus outside of the isolation room. That is how severe it is and how, how hardy this virus can be. And of course, every time we know that there is a, a parvo, potential parvo, uh, for example, in an exam room, we immediately keep that puppy there or go directly to the isolation and disinfect that room. And actually, I insist that we don't use that room for a couple of days just in case, just to make sure this doesn't spread to other puppies. Dr. Srino Lingretti, thank you so much for your expertise on parvovirus and dogs. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Animals Today Radio is made possible in part by a generous grant from International Society for Animal Rights, ISAR Online. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and participants and not intended to and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of America's Talk Radio Network, its management, and the station. All listeners are advised that neither America's Talk Radio Network nor its affiliates and owners shall be held liable for the content of programs, including any advice given. All listeners are advised to make their own decisions after appropriate consultation with professionals who've had an opportunity to consider completely each listener's circumstances and not in reliance upon the content of America's Talk Radio Network program.